go. Sniper arrow on the guard. It strikes true. The guard drops. I move to the doorway. Detect traps. None detected. I enter. Left flank. Right. One hobgoblin facing east. Backstab. Double damage. Critical hit. He's dead. Footsteps behind the door to the north. I notch two arrows. I climb the walls to get above the door. Five goblins enter from the north. I fire. Both arrows hit. Cleave. You kill one and wound another. I drop on the last one and grapple. You got hold of him. This one is for Crouton. With his dying breath, he utters, The Dark Lord. We'll kill you all. Wait, these things can talk? I want two taken alive. I want to try something. Welcome to another episode of Let's Roll on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. This is a show where we discuss various role-playing games uh, with guests and fellow tabletop gamers. And this episode continues our discussion of Shift World, our GURPS-fueled campaign that tries to use as many source books and settings as possible. And we've already talked about Old West, Auto Duel, Mars, Ice Age, Mecha, Steampunk, and Vikings. And today we're talking about GURPS time travel, which could make a claim that it is um, the GURPS default setting, seeing as it also includes dimensional travel. And to do this, I've invited one of the players who experienced it, Daniel put Wellet. Hi, Put. Hi, I would be the default GURPS player. Please don't speak like an AI. You're <laughs> so very close to that already. That's true, yeah. So for people who don't know what Shift World is because you're listening to this particular episode, First, this was a gaming setup where we had originally three characters who were three brothers. They were cowboys in the Old West. You know, that was what it was. And, uh, and then suddenly, there is what we call a shift, and they find themselves in another world, another setting. They are different people with different histories, but they also remember the original history. And part of the mystery was, why is this happening to us? Uh, but also it was a way to explore the way the GURPS is, which is a universal, generic, universal uh, system that allows you to game in different genres. And so that's, I've got a huge collection of it. Time Travel was the last one we did in the original... Or was it? Or was it the first one we did? It was the last one in the first one, because it was the last one we did in the early 2000s when we were playing, and then the game collapsed because a certain player, who I shall not name, but who is present on the podcast, had to leave town. I did, yeah. And this was way before we would ever think of playing online. The tools just weren't there. Not really. You know, and we did play online a bit later in the decade or you know, even the, the decade after that with other games. But that pool of players had dispersed by then. So we did not come back to Shift World until... Until we were talking about Shift World on this very show, you, me, and Bert was another of the players. And I don't know, we just wanted to get back into it. And we did finish that campaign eventually. So this is not the last of the series of episodes that Let's Roll is going to be doing about the GURPS Shift World idea. Because we do return to it and we do, you know, eventually there was closure and explanations and it even spun out into a new and different campaign. So you haven't heard the last of this. And if these episodes bug you, <laughs> I'm sorry. I had a lot of plans for time travel. and um, I saw that in the prep sheets. <laughs> yes, I sent you all my notes. Well, not all my notes, because <laughs> there was even more than that. I was surprised because I, in my mind, Siskoid is the kind of GM that shows up with a sentence or two of prep and then improvises the whole session. And we've done that. And we've done that. And it was so fun. And I want to try it again. But like for this one, there's like 29, 30 pages of prep. So <laughs> I was I was very surprised. Well, it's time travel. It's a complicated idea. It is. Things get messy. Yeah. So this is one of the few GURPS source books that I've read cover to cover, I think more than once. And aside from the basic set, it's the most beat up book in my collection. So I think we'll talk much more about the book than we do the campaign in this case, because it was sort of an interrupted element. But I'm sure you have memories of it, especially you came back to it and started over with time travel just to, to spin out the shift into another setting. But we did pick it up where we left off, basically. Yeah, I definitely have memories of it. Gerb's time travel has a really cool system that once you're first presented the mechanics on how time travel works in Gerb's, 
it's very unique. It's different from other mechanics of time travel from other media. So Yeah, I think it's cribbed from novels, probably. I read a lot of time travel fiction. We'll talk about that. Some of these ideas I came across maybe later. Some I, were, I was already aware of, but I think the way they codify it, so that it's understandable, whereas in a novel or in a movie, it can be hand-wavy or it can be extremely hard science and you don't really get it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but this, you need to understand it to make adventures work. And it definitely felt like the authors thought about a lot of small details about time traveling that they wanted to have answers for. Europe's Time Travel, what is it? It was written by Steve Jackson and John M. Ford, and of course published by Steve Jackson Games in 1991, that's pretty early. It presents options for the creation of time travel mechanics for whatever campaign, but also a main time travel setting, which is the one you allude to, and several smaller ones as well. And there's a setting for interdimensional travel. GURPS Time Travel won the Origins Award for Best Role-Playing Supplement in 1991. A lot of the material was integrated into GURPS Infinite Worlds for 4th edition, officially making it the umbrella setting for all GURPS. Uh, this was in 2005. So before we get into the game itself, I want to talk about time travel as a genre. Is this, is this a genre that interests you fundamentally? Yes. I think even before I played RPGs, just like... Uh, time travel stories I always thought were fascinating. I really liked a lot. Like, you know, like Back to the Future was one of my favorite movies as a kid, for instance. And I was so happy to see that it appears on the soundtrack for our campaign. <laughs> and yeah, like I remember like Sliders was an interdimensional thing, but like I also liked a lot of Quantum Leap. And so I was really into science fiction that had explored the idea of time travel or dimensional travel. I've always been into that. So it's definitely a genre that I like. And for RPGs, I don't think I've really explored it much except for this one adventure we did. We explore a lot of different historical settings in one shots and campaigns and whatnot. But like actual time traveling where the characters know they are shifting in the time stream, that's something that we haven't really done much, but I'd be interested to try it. Um, I mean, there are different takes and uh, I'm sure we'll get into that. I've, I've always been interested in time travel, I mean, for a long time. And I just looked up my letterbox account to see how many time travel movies I've actually seen. And this is not dimensional travel, just time travel movies. And it's almost 300. <laughs> so, wow. I, so even really bad ones, you know, mm. I will seek out and look at. There are a number of really cheap ones made direct for streaming or direct for a video. I don't care. If it's time travel, I sort of want to see it. Often do. So <laughs> I am a nut for time travel movies. I really like the idea of imagining a story happening differently than what you remember. Just like alternate versions of things. Right, rubber time. And then remembering the different things, which was what Shift World was, was like, right? There was an element of that, of dimensional travel without actually traveling. So already that's baked into what we were playing. Yeah, I, I've read a lot of time travel fiction as well. A lot of time travel comics. Time travel, I love. And still, there's quite a lot that I have not yet experienced. So um, I need to, to live my life a couple times just to get through it all. But I do love this genre, this subgenre. I was very excited to be able to play it in the shift world context, even though I think we've, we've had time travel elements in other games, you know, whether it's uh, uh, superhero stuff or we, I mean, you played Doctor Who with me. No, yeah, that's true. I forgot, yeah. That's a form of time travel, which I would call the more of a nomadic time traveler goes to different periods. And you can do uh, stories that have time loops that have, oh no, history's going to be changed, that sort of stuff. But the pure essence of the, the time travel story, especially in a context where you're going to game it, maybe you need a time patrol, which is sort of a time core, which is what we were playing in, in this thing. And if you're doing that, then people protecting the timeline... And if you're protecting the timeline, what are the rules? What, what can actually hurt the timeline? How do you make sure you don't hurt the timeline? And what does it mean to protect the timeline? Like, what timeline are you protecting? What are you protecting, right? Uh, maybe sometimes it's your own birth. You know, if your timeline is, is extinguished, what happens to you or the people that you love or the things that you, that you know, you know, they disappear. So you need a codification of that in RPGs or perhaps not. I mean, there are, there are ways to play this where it does, nothing matters. 
You know, mm-hmm. let, let the players destroy everything. Let them do you know, things that uh, they probably shouldn't. And then uh, this would be the ultimate in terms of improvising the setting, you know, like improvising your games. Yes, cool. But what if you go back in time, you change something important, you go forward back home, and instead of your home, it's the Roman Empire has, has somehow conquered the world in the 21st century. Oops. But now, as a game master, I'm improvising, you know, what's happening. <laughs> what what the, even the setting is has to be improvised at that point. So, you know, you can do it rubber time. You can also do it where there's, like, different paths. When you go back home, uh, you've created a, a, a parallel world, but you go back to your own, and that one continues. So there are ways to do this where it doesn't really matter, maybe, you know, let's just have fun with it. But if you're going to protect the timeline, you need to codify. You need a timeline that's going to be a little more grounded in hard science. And that's part of the problem with time travel games. That's a lot to juggle. You got to juggle the history. You got to juggle the physics. And you don't want players to feel like they're trapped in there's only one way to do this. I'm personally not a fan of the split timeline where, oh, you made a change, it created a new timeline. Pick which one you want. I feel like that's lazy. I'm glad that's not how GURPS time travel really deals with it. Yeah, they mention it because they've got every paradox possible, like every GURPS book. It's a toolkit. Here's a setting. Here are a couple settings you might use, but really... You can go wild. You can change anything you want. Here's how you can use time travel in games, regardless of the setting that we're offering. And so the one that they do develop the most, and the one we used, is the Time Core, which is essentially Paul Anderson's Time Patrol or Simon Hawk's Time Wars. There are many examples of this. I used the Time Tunnel because it was a favorite show as a kid. So we had a Time Tunnel as a, a gateway or as a way to time travel instead of maybe, you know, time travel bikes, which is often what they use sort of... Or focusing on the coin from historical significance. <laughs> I mean, that would be more like dreamy, but you can do that as well, right? It's in there. Mm. there we've got others that are less developed. In the cube, which is actually the time tunnel with the numbers filed off. And that means people lost in time, but there's like a home crew that is trying to get you back or something. Uh, Eternity's Rangers, this is Time Wars with the numbers filed off, but Simon Hawk's novels don't actually care about that element where you, you, you like recruit soldiers from across time and they have wars. This is for a military campaign type. The books are actually time patrol stuff in the context of these wars are going on as well. The Order of the Hourglass, this is mental time travel. A bit like Quantum Leap, but in, in dreams, like the people have a sort of ceremony and it sends them into the past. And also, they're physically in the past. So you get this in novels of the period, comics on through the 60s where Batman gets hypnotized and he wakes up in the Old West and he's there physically. This is the kind of stuff that used to exist in fiction, not very scientific, but the Order of the Hourglass is perhaps a, um, a setting idea for that kind of time travel. They got the Horatio Club. It's a 1920s thing with magic doors. And there's a Spanish show, El Ministerio del Tiempo, the Ministry of Time. The, it used to be on Netflix. I, I didn't get to watch the whole thing before they pulled it. Hopefully it'll come back at some point. But they use that idea where there's like in Spain, there's a bunch of doors. And if you walk through a door, whoops, you're in this other time period. They use it as a time patrol idea. But uh, in, in this case, it's like explorers of the 1920s. And it's more like a Callahan's cross time saloon where basically you create a nexus from which you can go anywhere in the GURPS verse. Like I said, anything you want to do, it's in there. Spontaneous mutant time leapers, you can do that. Actual Quantum Leap, you can do that. Rubber Time, Fixed History, you can decide what the rules are with this toolkit. And there's also the Infinite Worlds campaign, which is a similar setup to Time Core. I mean, there's a villain organization, just like the Time Core, there's a villain organization trying to win. Time Core has that idea that there are two possible outcomes, right? So there are parallel worlds. If certain events happen, certain people survive, live on, it will lead to maybe our utopian time core timeline, or it might lead to the fascist stopwatch you know, universe. And, and they have agents. We're all trying to make it that our universes have a better chance of happening, of being true. So you're trying to up or, or lower the other guy's probability of existing. Uh, with infinite worlds, 
It's the same thing, but it's uh, about parallel worlds. And there's two of the parallels have interdimensional travel. Yourself, which is sort of like a time core, but for dimensions. And on the other side, uh, Centrum is like they're the fascists. And they're trying to invade other realities. And you sort of clash. And there's a similar kind of system of how how you handle this and what could push you too far away from Centrum and then they might win the war or something. Would you have liked to use any of these? I like the idea of magical time travel. I think could be an interesting campaign for me too. Just the idea of like, we're a bunch of uh, mythics or something and we have these ceremonies to travel through time. And then, I don't know, I like the magical fantasy feel of it. Time travel is so traditionally so sci-fi and to have like more of a fantasy, magical, dreamlike type of time travel seems like it could be fun too. Personally, I do like the dimensional travel stuff because it's just as intricate as the time travel stuff, except it's a different idea. So when you're using GURPS, and this is one of the reasons you might use time travel with your GURPS collection, is that a lot of the GURPS books are historical source books. So they're perfect for using time travel, right? And I feel like some historical settings, you might not necessarily want to spend a very long campaign in them, but to put them in a campaign where you're traveling through time or through dimensions makes it so that you can explore those settings and have fun in them and get out of it when it starts to get less fun. Right. So you might not want to play GURPS Aztecs for, you know, two years or whatever, but interesting setting to land in and, you know, perhaps in a, a particularly important time period to study and then something happens and there's all sorts of, you know, ways to access that. And with GURPS Infinite Worlds, well, there's all these other campaign settings that don't quite fit history, whether that's because they're mythical, magical, or perhaps science fiction based, you know, like GURPS has one where the first atom bomb sort of breaks the world open and it's our world, but there's magic, like people are using magic for toasters and such, all sorts of universes that they've codified within their large collection of source books. And you want to visit those things, you want to use them, you're not sure you, you can sell your players on an entire campaign, you know, or, or even a one shot. Well, how about you mix these one shots, but you've got these time travelers, interdimensional travelers who can go from place to place. So Shift World was sort of a an inversion of the idea where we're not traveling, the world is changing around us. We're not going anywhere, but the, these places are coming to us in a certain way, right? So it was very weird in a way to turn the, the characters into time travelers when they're already shifters. <laughs> it's, mm -hmm. it's already a bit much. And then you had to learn all the lingo, etc. Like I said, we're, we're going to really concentrate on the time core uh, idea and that part of the book. And like you said, there are a lot of interesting rules, physics that goes with this. What are some of your favorites? I think one of my favorites was the idea that in order to try and prevent paradoxes, there are blackout moments in history that you just can't travel back to because they're too important. And therefore, for some reason, the timeline in the universe has found a way to protect those moments from being modified. That alone, I thought it was such an interesting and unique way of dealing with paradoxes. When I found out about that, it made me immediately fall in love with this mechanic of time travel. I mean, there's a, so, such a thing as solidified time, solidified history, whether like that that moment. I know that in Doctor Who, they mentioned stuff like that all the time. Like, yeah, fixed yeah, points. Fixed points. One of the things I like the most is the observer effect. Oh, that would be my second favorite for sure. I agree. Yeah, so w with this, whatever you observe, a time traveler observes back in time, I, mean, I should say downtime, whatever you observe, that has happened. You know, there's a lot of history we don't really know. We've read the books, books. We've read memoirs. We've seen pictures. All of that. Lies. Well, we don't know, right? There's no, that's not proof. That is not proof. And uh, there is a branch of history. It's called historiography, which is the study of how history is written. And that's very popular in universities. And uh, everyone we know who studied history and, you know, people from the Ohatmuen or not, Hot Squad, there are like three historians in there. Historiography was a big thing, and so I've heard about it quite a lot, just in casual conversation. And it's the study of history because history, what's the, what's the old saying? You know, history is written by the victors. What actually happened, 
You know, there is distortion, there is propaganda, there is there's fake news in today's parlance. Or it's just an opinion. The way it's written, there is a bias. So this means that we can't really trust these particular uh, documents. We think it happened one way, but then we time travel to the past and it's not quite what we thought. No, but we can make sure that it was written that way, right? So mm. you could change the whole event, make sure that it is written differently. So it's a way for time travelers to clean up their paradoxes. And this is a thing that I love in time travel fiction. And very often I'll be watching like a Doctor Who episode or any time travel movie. And I'll, I'll be going, well, you can get out of that. Um, and there, there are ways to get out of it. And I think I read a book like a, well, there wasn't such a thing as uh, young adult novels when I was a kid, but there was youth fiction that, that sort of would be that today. And there was like these books are French. Uh, it was about like a, a team of kids who go out and you just have like strange adventures type thing. Maybe it's mystical, maybe it's science fictional. They have these strange adventures. And they left quite a mark on me because one of the reasons we did Gerbs Vikings last time is because there was a uh, thing with a uh, one of the kids was, was a reincarnation of um, Leif Erikson. The, the great Viking leader, and he's having these memories. That's one of the weirder adventures that they had and that stuck with me. Of course, I did Vikings eventually. There's just, I mean, like those books really did a number on me, even though I don't necessarily mm. remember all the details. And they had a time travel adventure. And in the time travel adventure, at some point, there's like this hit squad that shows up. Uh, they're all dressed in black with masks. And they come in and they sort of save them from a threat in in the past or something and then later on they have to do the mission themselves because that was them oh there, there, there's stuff like that in a, a classic a classic so what you want to do is okay this happens how can we make sure that what we just saw and i mean we've seen in doctor who when the element doctor dies he's shot and there's like well there's no way to get out of this he dies he fails to regenerate they burn his body but of course you can go back to that moment what people saw you can make that happen. If you can fake that, to them it happened, and you can get mm. out of having died, essentially. You know, like, what you saw was not exactly what you thought you saw. Yeah, you interpreted him as dying. Right. But really, it was something else. So the observer, the observer effect is essentially what covers this in the game. If you see something, then that's solidified time, basically. If a time traveler sees something, that is proof that it happened. One of the things that they say you should do in the game for agents, a tip for agents, if one of the agents gets shot, bleeding out, run away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, don't watch him Don't die. confirm his death. You know, don't, don't check his pulse. <laughs> you don't know what happened there. And so when you go back home and you say, well, we got ambushed and um, I'll have Johnny on the ground there, then another mission can be mounted, a different team can be sent to change what you saw, you know, change the details and, and the, the blanks, like not looking. Is he dead or is he not? He's both. He's neither. He's Schrodinger's cat. You can still mm -hmm. save him, but not if you confirm that he died. So you go back in time on a second mission and you confirm that he is not. That's what you hopefully yeah. do, right? To me, there's many ways to, to do this. It's like, well, you go back and oh, this is how I would do it. I go back in time. I put a blood pack on Johnny. Look, you're going to be ambushed, but act like you don't know. This is how it must go down. You must lose this fight. Blow the blood pack when the attack happens. Your friends will think you're dead. They run away. They're fine. They got back. This has been recorded. They've already come back home. You know, and then we'll send a hit squad to, to shoot those bad guys in the, you know, in the back. And then, well, you can wake up. You can just go, okay, you know, that was just a blood pack. I'm not even wounded. And then we'll bring you back home. This is how I would handle it as a experienced mm -hmm. time traveler. I also like the idea of using the observer effect to your advantage in order to manipulate what the enemy thinks he saw. Oh, yes, that's right. You can, yeah, right? it goes so both like, ways. We're talking about using the observer effect defensively and trying to make sure that we survive what we thought was a bad thing, but we could also try to manipulate what the enemy sees offensively and uh, make them think they accomplished their mission when really they did not. There's a lot of this con game going on between the Time Corps and Stopwatch, who is the evil... Well, we'll say evil, but they come from the Hive. Great name, by the way. Stopwatch. They're trying to defend their own history and make sure that their future 
comes to pass by manipulating history to their advantage. But maybe history goes that way. Like, you know, people talk a lot about the darkest timeline uh, and that we're living in it. So I think like Stopwatch is winning, um, mm-hmm. especially if the Time Core, the whatever it's, we, we called it Project Paradise because in Shift World, the home base was always called Paradise, whether it was a town or an organization. So we called it Project Paradise. But in any case, that was seen as a sort of uh, utopia or like Star Trek adjacent. Whereas the way the Hive is described, it's a fascist world government. And so Stopwatch is going to be a little more ruthless, a little more destructive. I mean, their methods are in line with what will happen. You know, if, if we're going for the darkest timeline, which is what Stopwatch wants, because that's where they were born. And of course, as fascists, they want to control things. And even though the dystopia, uh, the people at the top of that dystopia obviously want it to go on uh, and, and be insured. So there's value in making the other team see their own defeat, for example. That's the observer mm-hmm. effect as an offensive. You want them mm-hmm. to confirm that you won, whereas you never want to confirm that you lost. You know, they know this as well. So they're they're playing that game as well. So there's a there's a sort of a manipulation going on to make sure. And this is one of the things that was a theme in the adventure that we did manage to play. We'll get to that. As far as not breaking history by mistake. I mean, they had some very intelligent ways to do that. You would snap back or things would snap back. Like the only reason you could go back in time and remain in in the past is because you had, you know, some sort of some, something embedded in you. There's an implant that created a field around yourself. Something to keep you there because yeah. the universe does not want you there. There's like an inertia. Yeah, that- it snaps you back as soon as it, it, it can, basically. And if you're too badly wounded, you snap back automatically. If um, if you die, you snap back. If you shoot a bullet, that bullet will hit and then immediately snap back because now it's outside your field for too long. You know, So you can't just leave your gun in the Middle Ages. It's going to snap back because it doesn't have its own field. But you could have equipment that projects that field to keep things, you know, so there are ways to, to screw around with this. You, you can't mistakenly leave your tricorder back on, uh, <laughs> on the planet of the gangsters and, uh, and change their whole culture, you know. So that's very intelligent stuff going on. I like some of the, the consequences. If you stay in the past too long, you're going to be eating food from the past and a lot of your atoms are going to be from the past, are going to be local. And when you snap back, you could suffer damage because part of your mass stays behind. Yeah, when I read that, I immediately imagined like this scene where stopwatch agents have kidnapped a paradise agent and they just feed him as a prisoner for months and then like purposely snap him back. <laughs> but like only parts of him. So it's a very long game to just to kill a guy. But but there is talk of, they mentioned, you know, like feeding animals food from a different time period so that, you know, you can make it remain in whatever time period. So there's all sorts of tricks that you can play with the technology, essentially. So it's a pretty cool idea and well-realized. I mean, everything sort of is consequent. What do you remember of the story and settings, what we actually did? Our characters were all set up with stats and mechanics for Vikings. And we had to figure out, okay, how do we translate that into time travelers from the future? That was our first objective and first challenge. And it all comes back, like every time we talk about Shift World, and for listeners who are new to Shift World with this episode, the idea here is to keep an archetype. So you think of like, like my character, for instance, was a very roguish, charismatic character. So now that he's part of this time patrol in the future it's just the same thing it's just he plays by his own rules maybe he visits a part of time he's not supposed to just because that's the right thing to do and he's not following the rules so that was the first challenge was uh transferring everything and then i remember that when we got our first mission was this the first shift where we were part of a organized no no because mecca was mecca Mecca was was, yeah So it was a little bit of a return to right. the Right, it's what I call the middle part of the campaign where suddenly the characters go from self-motivated, each having their own lives and the sort of thing, to, okay, that now they're united in a purpose, working for the town, for the organization. So there was elements of, in Mecca, in Steampunk, in uh, even Vikings... You were on a mission, basically. You were sent by the town to do what such and such a thing. So right. the middle part is where you guys become 
uh, more in line with the authorities, which is kind of goes against the rogue. And uh, what Bert was playing, well, Bert wasn't in. That's the problem. Bert wasn't in the game anymore. So it couldn't be about the three brothers. The other character was played by Sly, was an outsider. He had his own mysteries, his own things to, to, to think about. He's a psionic, he was an orphan. Uh, he was also shifting, which was mysterious, etc. cetera. Uh, and he's looking for a new community to join. So now we're becoming more community agents in a way. And I think that's part of the shift, uh, if, if you'll allow the word. Um, uh-huh. It's part of, we're shifting, we're migrating towards a different kind of storytelling style, where perhaps, yes, I have to have more notes because missions, they're more planned out. Whereas before, there was sort of free form role playing. Oh, you want to go talk to this guy? Okay, let's go talk to this guy. Oh, it sort of gives me an idea for an, uh, an adventure or a, an encounter. Okay, let's do it. Whereas later, through this portion things get more planned out. Right. What I remember at this point is we're giving missions and the first mission is to go back to the Titanic, which was really exciting because it gives us a very strong referent. You know what I mean? Like we sort of knew what was supposed to happen. We had, it was the nineties or early two thousands rather. And so the nineties movie Titanic had the blockbuster was very popular. We had all seen it. So our idea of what was supposed to happen was not historical. It was cinematic. (laughs) Let's just say I remember us trying to make scenes from the movie happen, (laughs) like the guys playing the violin while it was sinking or dance party in the lower decks. Like uh, I remember we were talking about the movie more than the historical event. So I remember that. I remember that we knew there were going to be stopwatch agents at the same spot. And the main goal of our mission was to try and figure out who they were. And also, we were trying to figure out which people on the Titanic, we were trying to figure out which ones of them would be important people trying to turn the timeline towards ours versus towards Stopwatch. And we had to try and make sure that the good guys would survive the Titanic. So it was a whole game. It was a little bit like the werewolf or mafia game where we know there are people that are part of the team and but we don't know who they are and what team they're on and we need to try and sort of figure out who's on our team and how do we make sure that they survive while the others don't so it was a really fun mystery to try to solve all the while learning all of this time travel mechanic and uh, dialect. For me, there was a lot to keep track of. Like you've seen in my notes, this is an adventure that's actually in GURPS Time Travel Adventures. So there's a GURPS book with three adventures in it, pretty large. One is the Titanic one, and there's another one with uh, Egyptian lore in it, which was going to be my, my next one, which was adapting all the notes. I had adapted that. That explains the soundtrack. Uh, it's, it's on the soundtrack. There's <laughs> Walk Like an Egyptian is on there. We'll talk about the soundtrack next. And then there's one for the uh, Infinite Worlds, where you visit a world where it looks like uh, 20th century outside, but there's like dragons and magic. And I felt like, well, I don't know how long we're going to stay necessarily in time travel, but I do want to use these adventures because the first one, the Titanic one, presents Stopwatch. It eases you into all of these rules. Because the next one over, that one works with observer effect and an actual incursion in the timeline. It's not just we got two teams working towards their a similar goal, but opposite. There's really like somebody changed history. Or they might have changed history and we're waiting for the ripple effects. Basically, the premise is a pyramid is nuked. The bomb was in there oh. since ancient Egypt. Wow. And then, okay, let's go back. And then, okay, well, I can't look at this. <laughs> How can I make sure that they don't actually put the nuke in the pyramid? And then that thing that seems to have happened may not have happened at all, etc. So that one was more complicated and he used up the observer effect. So that was obviously, no, we can't start with that one. It's too much. But the Titanic one, like you say, this is a setting that we understand, that we know the beats, the actual historical beats, like everything without Jack and Rose, you know, all that stuff actually did happen, was chronicled. So like you said, you were trying to make it happen as if, as if saying, 
well, if I make this happen, like the violins or whatever, then we're pushing it towards our own timeline because that's our history. That's the history we know. Right. James Cameron is in our timeline and we wanted to make sure that he gets to do the right. movie. So, and that those events actually happen. So very interesting adventure. I Obviously, I had to adapt it for our own purposes. I had to translate it into French, etc. But And you can see by the notes, like oh, I had to know, okay, that particular time, at that hour, that minute, what happened? And this is actually historical from the event. Where are each of these characters that are in a team or are preferred by our timeline or preferred by the other timeline? Where are these people who must survive or who must die or who are actual agents? Yeah, it seemed like a lot. Like there was like 20 NPCs to keep track of at different times of the day during the whole event. Yeah, it's great. But it's super interesting. I love it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I was prepared for the next adventure. I can tell you that I was also, I think at the end of that one, I was probably ready for a shift because it would have taken us five, six sessions probably to do all of that. Uh, At the end of that, you would be given a new mission uh, to the Old West, which was cool because I'm looking at your character sheet here. You had um, area knowledge of the Old West. And that made sense because your characters were originally Old West characters. So that was a fun idea that, okay, let's, they're experts, let's send them to the Old West, which would have been, you know, a past glory for them. Because in the time travel universe history, Vikings was a time travel trip. You know, uh, all of these different uh, settings were more or less time travel adventures. So, okay, let's go back to the Old West. You would have landed in the Old West, but not realize that there's a shift there and you're back in the Old West for real. Or are you, you would have been in Deadlands which is the horror version. And this is something that eventually came back. I actually used that for our big climax in the modern era. But at the time, I was going to go, okay, directly to Deadlands. uh, And then you would have had an adventure there where your old enemy, Jeremiah Dark, would have been revealed as still alive. He's, He's lurking in time travel. We had him. We don't quite remember all of this, but he was lurking. He's in the notes as maybe he's working with Stopwatch. And maybe he was resurrected through time travel shenanigans. But then in Deadlands, well, maybe he's resurrected because he's a zombie or something. Or he's, you know, he's been resurrected by evil spirits. Um, and so that was the plan. And so you can see how I eventually use that. Throughout this, of course, there's a soundtrack on the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. You'll see some of the character sheets, you'll see some of the notes maybe in the show notes. I'm also including, as I usually do, the soundtrack. There's a YouTube playlist, the soundtrack for this portion of Shift World. And I don't know how I feel about it. I was wondering the same thing because I feel like a lot of your soundtracks have a very clear feel and theme to them. Whereas this one, I feel like the theme was... Is the word time in the title of the song? If so, I'm putting it in. (laughs) Yes, but also there is... It's also very 80s. There's a theme. I thought, like, for every time we did a science fiction setting, there's no music for that necessarily. You know, it's like, okay, Viking, okay, I'm going to use Norwegian music. I'm going to, like, those sounds, you know, something epic. For Old West, I'm going to use Old Western tunes, etc. So there's... It can be easy for the past. Not necessarily easy because you're, you know, is, is there music for this setting? But you can do some orchestral symphonic music, you know, from movies. It's doable. Whereas with science fiction, you sort of have to pick a lane. You know, so mm. Auto Duel, which was sort of a Mad Max with cars pimped up with uh, weapons. Like the music was kind of surf because surf and driving music is is connected. That's what yeah. I picked there. When we eventually did the space opera stuff much later, we'll get back to that eventually, I used disco. You know, the inspiration was all the space disco from the late 70s, kind of the musical feel of Buck Rogers in the 25th century. That's where I went with that. Mecca was all French Electrofusion, hard hitting. It's not metal, but it was like we. It was set in France, so we were going. I was going like, let's French tunes. It's gonna be electro. It's gonna be you know hard music. So in this case, 
time travel, as I wanted something different, time travel, mm, retro, and that's where I fell into the sort of 80s pop sound. Yeah. Cindy Lauper, Peter Gabriel, Poison. Huey Lewis in the News. Uh, obviously, for Titanic, we played uh, Celine Dion, which is later, obviously, but she was an artist from the 80s. So, yeah, I, I, this isn't a soundtrack that I listen to much. I like no. the sort of time travel elements, just like time tunnel, that sort, of, that sort of stuff. What I remember, like before looking at the list, the only two songs I remembered was Time Tunnel and the theme song to Time Tunnel. Right. That's the only two things I remember that were Because I use them the a game. lot. Like I, right. Whereas the other songs, I don't really remember them being in our games. But it's very different for like Old West and Auto Duel. I used to listen to those CDs in the car all the time. But this one, I feel like we didn't really get a CD maybe for this well, one. Well, the so. game was interrupted. So right. it never really became a thing. It wasn't like a soundtrack that... We, we listen too much, but also I feel like um, the fact that it was like top 40 hits doesn't make it distinctive enough. There's still too many different uh, musical styles in there. Uh, it was a little bit silly based on the pun, essentially. So yeah, it's not my mm -hmm. best. It's out there. I've, I've put it on YouTube as a list for people to listen to. Yeah, it felt a little... I, w I won't say phoned in because I did work at it, but it's not as inspired or interesting as many of the others oh well and then the break right so we don't get to finish this portion but we get back to shift world 15 plus years later and it's still time travel and now it's going to be put is still in the game at first it's yen and sly were interested but we could never make the schedules work and so we ended up just you and bert and now everybody's in a different city and we're doing it online and this was my chance to just like um do a little bit of time travel before we shift it again. So in this case, it's all about the Permian era. <laughs> so uh, we're going back to the di dinosaur times, or actually earlier than the dinosaurs, because I really wanted to use a Dimetrodon, which is my one of my favorite <laughs> old-time reptiles. We had like a toy when I was a kid, and we just loved that. You never know what's going to inspire a RPG adventure, huh? There's a lot of my youth in this, right? <laughs> it just seems to be like a lot of things I had when I was a kid. No other reason to set it there. But we obviously we knew that Bert was always the guy that he had left first. He was always somewhere else. He was, he was like somewhere in Canada, somewhere. Some kind of research station. Right. So somewhere. we say, well, how about it's downtime? And he's been sent to this research station. He's investigating early Saurians. That's where he is. But. He's failed to call in. He's failed to send reports. And you're the brother that's going to be, wait a minute, we need to check on him and then kind of go rogue with a, the time machine and go back to find him. In fact, in a test tube, in a giant test tube, he's being experimented on by, yes, Jeremiah Dark, our big villain, who is also a shifter. Ta -ta -ta. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm sort of going like, okay, now I need all of these pieces to be back in play. And then that was my kind of my solution, you know, Dark Returns, and we're sort of going to kind of experiment on Willy and do things to him in the past. What are your impressions of just getting back into it? Well, earlier in the show, you mentioned that what inspired you to bring Shift World back was that we were talking about it for a podcast. But me, on the other hand, I've been dreaming about bringing Shift World back since the day that that Titanic adventure was over. For 15 years, I would think about Ship World almost every week and hope that it would come back somehow. So I was incredibly hyped and excited about getting back to the game. So that's the first thing that I remember. Just the idea that we got to play Ship World again. I was so excited. Dark coming back. That tickled me so much. I was like, yes, the big bad guy is back. We're into this again. Bibal being an idiot and playing his character like a moron, that was <laughs> that felt like home. I felt like home having to save my idiot brother from this situation. It was amazing. I was so happy to be back. And even though we were now changing to a different medium because we had always played Shift World around the table, now we were doing it online. I felt like we transitioned really well 
the new technology and way of doing it. At first, I was afraid that maybe it wouldn't feel the same, but it felt like home. It felt great. So I was very happy. For 15 years, you never asked. <laughs> but also, is it, well, well, would we have thought of it? I'm not sure that's true. But, but... what would we have thought of it? Now we're, okay, we're talking online. Half the players, essentially, they're into it. Like all their memories are reactivated. Is this possible now that we're that we are playing online. I mean, during the pandemic, it just seemed normal to play online. That's when we actually did this. So, and we're still playing and we're not playing shift world per se, but we're still playing. So uh, it, it mm -hmm. really, we're playing a sequel of, you know, a good thing to, to start doing again. So this is a message for all of you who miss your old campaigns and wonder if they'll ever be able to reboot. There is hope out there, <laughs> my friends. You can make it happen. We're going to sort of leave the, the campaign here for now because We're going to shift uh, once more. And so we'll do another episode on the, the different shifts that are coming. I guess you don't want to talk about this adventure because you stole so much of it from Austin Powers. Did I? <laughs> uh, we kept joking around that uh, a lot of the events from this adventure of saving Bibal's character seemed a lot like Austin Powers because basically the bad guy, Dark, was stealing his, his shifter energy from him like uh, Dr. Evil stole Austin Powers' mojo by having him in a huge vat where he was floating. Yeah, baby! There are only so many stories you can tell. I have, like, I have no real memory <laughs> of what happens in Austin Powers, so I'm guiltless of that yeah. particular theft. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, <laughs> next time we'll have Bert again because now he's back in the game and we can discuss this sort of stuff. You will notice as well that the excuse given for why Etienne and Sly's characters were not in these adventures uh, was because uh, they had been sent on a different mission to ancient Egypt. So in other words, the, the adventure that I'd never got to run, there is a world out there where those two characters actually did go on that mission and never returned in time. <laughs> they did not return in time for the <laughs> well, finale. Well, it kind of makes me realize that this kind of setting is a good one when you have a campaign with a lot of players and uh, some of them maybe are not very good with being available every time you want to do an adventure, then you can just send them uptime or downtime or somewhere else. You know, they're on a different yeah, mission. Yeah, totally. So. And in, in fact, any mission-based, a base to work out of and people are sent on missions, um, this is a good way to not have a certain player go on a whatever mission. So I think superheroes are very good for, with that as well because they're so mobile. Same thing with time travel. You're, mo you're so mobile Like, I'm sorry, like this guy's in 1600 and we, we can't get him now. There's no way to contact him back there. It's a much better way of dealing with it than having the character there, even if the player isn't. <laughs> the character is there the whole time. He never says anything. Yeah, no, I hate that. Um, and I know some people, I've, I've heard some people use ghosts. So basically like their character is there, but he's in ghost form and he can't interact. And I don't know okay. what the explanation for that is in the story. <laughs> and now he's not a ghost anymore. Well, I think you could use that for certain. There are some games where you could use that where the, the person is sort of in and out of reality or something. But you have to embed that in your game world for that to work. So I'm not sure. I, I'm sure time travel, we could do something where you're so temporally out of phase and it's just like a side effect. But That's not what we did. We just, because then we're shifting almost immediately in the new era. We didn't stick with time travel. And we'll talk about those things later. For now, uh, well, a few things to get through uh, before we leave. First is time travel supplements. Europe's time travel is actually very well supported with products that I can indeed recommend. Specifically, uh, time travel adventures. That was made especially for time travel. Uh, there's a book called Timeline, which uh, expands greatly on, you, you know, like the little timeline that's at the end, little historical events that go from, where does it, uh, where did they stop? 1991, which is the date of the book. It starts 10 billion BC. That little timeline is a few pages. Now imagine it was as thick as this book. And that's GURPS Timelines. You've got the timeline in the, the top of the, every page, but then there's story hooks, things like more explanation of what could happen, how you could interact with that time period or that particular historical event. It's a great book. That's very cool. 
cool, yeah. And for Infinite Worlds, there's uh, two books, Alternate Worlds 1 and 2, which detail five or six each parallel worlds. So let's say there, you know, there's the obvious ones like the uh, the Fourth Reich, more or less, you know, like the Nazis won the war or the, the Vikings took over the world or China took over the world. And so it details these things in. Uh, relatively few pages, but I mean, there's always the same thickness of book, basically these 128 page things, but you get more mini worlds, which you could build a campaign around any single one of these, or you could use with infinite worlds as places to visit. Uh, It gives you a real sliders feel, I feel. And then tangentially, every historical source book fits in this, every tech book, low tech, uh, high tech, ultra tech, whatever you can use all of these books, everything else really can be accessed through dimensional travel. So the infinite worlds, uh, there's a framework to visit all the science fiction worlds, all the magical worlds, all the strange worlds from fiction that GURPS has made source books from. And then fourth edition, time travel, uh, you get that in the infinite worlds book, which was one of the first ones that came out. So that's a bit thicker, hardcover. All, all of this information that is GURPS time travel is reproduced for the fourth edition and made a little bit, okay, like this is what we we as a company are saying is the macro setting from which you can access all other parts. I mean, in another world, in another parallel world, maybe this is what would have been the idea instead of doing it shift world style. It could have been travelers. I once did a, or prepared a campaign that was uh, everybody picked a, a source book, everybody made a character from that source book, and then somehow they all got together through the Infinite Worlds concept. It did not go to series, so to speak. <laughs> we, we, it didn't go <laughs> further than a character generation. And even so, I think only a couple people made characters. But you could have imagined like, okay, so this, this, uh, you know, this Chinese artist with this um, Viking warrior with this, you know, maybe a science fiction guy. And they're all in a party together, which is kind of closer to what we're doing now. Well, I won't say much, but um, in Torg Eternity, it's kind of like that, which is the game we're playing now. Lessons. What did we learn through this experience? I'm going to go with something that we did not discuss at all during this whole episode, but it just dawned on me. I feel like GURPS time travel was a great way to communicate the idea that certain challenges could be solved in non-dramatic, subtle ways, and it could be just as satisfying as going in guns blazing. Because you can't make too big of a change um, because you would screw with the timeline and create paradoxes. But every small, subtle change can be worked on really hard and still have a ripple effect that's really important in the storyline. So I thought time travel is a good way to think about that. And not just in a time travel context either. You know, like little subtle things that happen in a game, even if you're not time traveling, can have repercussions. I I think you're right. I think one of the jobs that the game master has to do is pick up on these things. And maybe players can do too. I think players can take notes of, okay, like this, this little thing happened and I'm really interested in it. And I'll discuss it with the GM as... Like something I'd I'd love to see come back or come back against me, maybe. Mm -hmm. This one little thing might become a subplot, which might eventually become the main plot. If if you're interested in this small detail, work on it. Very often I will be GMing something. I've got my roadmap. I know where it's going, etc. Or where it can go. But then something, a little something happens and like a little character is created. It's very often like this for me. It's like a little character is created on the fly because the, the characters go left instead of right and you just like you need a guy standing there and that guy is probably more interesting than the guys i had planned you know more or less and and that character can stick around or have a larger impact on the group and so there's a lot of that going on in my games i think i think the lesson that i learned at the time was from that titanic adventure keeping track of the actual minute by minute events uh, creating a sort of i'm going to call it a temporal geography that the characters can move through. That's obviously something I learned because when I ran Doctor Who Adventures, um, there was one in Woodstock. I'm not sure you were part of the group yet. And I used clips of the show. I don't know. I found it on like LimeWire, whatever whatever existed back then. There was, there was a way <laughs> yeah. to download the entire show based on all the recordings that 
were featured on, like somebody had compiled them. So you use the observer effect to, <laughs> to your advantage. It's the same thing as, as uh, Titanic. With Titanic, we knew, okay, like uh-huh. these are the actual events, what happens, and uh, James Cameron reproduced that. Uh, barring his little soap opera story that's uh, attached to it. But, you know, it's like, okay, minute minute by minute, how the boat sank on screen was actually how it happened, according to, you know, uh, what we know. So it was the same idea. Let's use, and I don't know how much of, of the show, I, I mean, this is a multiple days, right? I don't think I listened to the whole thing, but I was... I don't know, finding things in there. Maybe there was like little notes on the clips or something. Uh, and at one point, uh, the, you know, the MC comes on and he says things like somebody needs medical attention or there was oh. a fire at some point on, the, you know, on the campground or there's stuff like that. So the idea is then you have the characters go through something where all of a sudden one of them gets hurt and then you have the host appear and say, we need a doctor. Is there a doctor? Play the clip. Yeah. That's Good. I love that. There was always running in the background. Like I just put the music on and then we say, okay, it was like three hours later. Okay, now I've, I've shifted to the, you know, like the scene begins and it's some other part. And whatever the MC is saying, that's that's what has to happen. You know, so I learned that from using the Titanic adventure in order as a background. And it becomes, I don't know, of course, you've got your shenanigans with an alien entity. It's Doctor Who. But it's sort of influenced by what's happening in the soundtrack. So if you're keeping track of the music and of the announcements and you're making them part of the adventure and then when something happens in the real world or it did happen, then it has an impact on the characters who are living there because it's kind of a sandbox thing where you're not just visiting a place, you're visiting a time where there are preset elements that have to go off no matter what. So um, in time travel, the, those details already exist because we're dealing with actual history. So you can research a thing, an event, and do it minute by minute. And not it's so you're not just uh, loose and fancy free. You know, you can go there, you can go there. No, no, you can go there or there or there. But you're going to hear that announcement. It's like having a time map as well as a city map. Like you, vi- you visit a village... You look at the village map and you have all these buildings that are there and like there's you don't have a choice. The buildings are there. You can go visit them if you want, you know, Um, but you get to pick which building you want to go visit. If you're going into a different time event that has very specific things happening inside it, you can have like a time map, too, where you're like, oh, do whatever you want between this time and that time. But three minutes and 20 seconds, this thing is going to happen yeah. no matter and what. And I don't use that enough. Mm. And this is one of the things I realized when I was reviewing all the notes for this particular adventure. But there's really something fun about not railroading the players because you don't, don't want to do that. But the, the event is on a railroad. And you can do mm-hmm. that even without time travel where you can say, well, the villain's plans are on that railroad. And whatever happens, those things are going to go off. And then the players, if they waste too much time, those things are going to happen regardless. Or we don't know where the players are going to be or what they're going to be doing in whatever moment, but that moment, that thing is set off. I mean, it doesn't work for every adventure, but I found there's a lot of joy in doing that. It's all our research. It can be. It's a lot of juggling, keeping things in your head. It is rewarding. The adventures where it will work really well is adventures that take place during a very known event like Woodstock or Titanic, where the players kind of sort of know what's coming and expect it a little bit. So when it happens, it's like, oh, yeah, obviously this was going to happen. And even if you don't, history will give you more details than you might have thought of. Things are going to happen that no matter what. If you're alone trying to piece together an event and you're going to want to cheat it once you're in the game and you say, well, be, um, let's, let's delay this so that the players have time to do whatever. And you're going to cheat it because it's your own event. If you've committed to Woodstock or Titanic or anything that is time sensitive in the same way, no, you're not. <laughs> you're not going to want to cheat it. You're yeah. going to want to commit to it. And then whatever happens, happens. And it can be just background. It can be background noise and it's still super interesting. I remember the players were, uh, the Woodstock players, were quite into it. They really thought like, oh my God, this is, this was amazing that like the constant soundtrack, it's like being there. You know, for them, it was more immersive. Yeah. 
Because I can just imagine being in the middle of adventure, doing something specific to the adventure that has nothing to do with the show necessarily, but it's playing in the background. And all of a sudden, you hear Jimi Hendrix's national anthem, and you're like, oh, yeah. We were there. We were there when that happened. <laughs> that's yeah. happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Well, that was GURPS Time Travel. I want to thank you, Put, for uh, guesting on this. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a wonderful travel through time. There you go. And uh, I'll let you go back to the tunnel. And I'll be back after the break with Game Master advice and your feedback on our previous episode. And this is for the blooper reel. At the end, you can put an image of Rose floating on the water with Jack going down. And it's our faces. And it's just like, it's Shift World telling me, promise me you'll never let go. Put I'm like, I promise. But then Shipworld just goes back down in the water. I can't put any images. It's an audio medium. <laughs> we'll be right back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and action. It's Fade Out. Hosted by film fanatic Rob Kelly and a roster of special guests, Fade Out will examine the final films of Hollywood's brightest lights. Part of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. If I were Dungeon Master, I'd have it made. What an interesting proposition. Very well, I shall give you all my power to use as you will. I think I've made it clear by now that I'm a huge fan of time travel stories and thus of time travel role-playing opportunities. Whether it's loosey-goosey like the Doctor Who RPG or mechanically coherent like GURPS time travel, games like this unfortunately present certain difficulties. Like chief among these is the players and GM's historical insecurities. History is a big subject, and few gamers will be experts. Even history majors will have their niches. One player might be very familiar with World War II, but be very weak on Napoleonic era or antiquity. It's just too broad and deep a tapestry, especially if you're going to play around with the threat of changing history. Like, how do the players know that this Chinese bureaucrat was meant to lose governmental support before he could go too far? How do they even know who this guy is? How a game master handles holes in both his knowledge and his players really depends on whether they are history buffs or not. So let's take each case. First, time travel with historians. Well, the GM should be ready to accept the word of historians, whose specialty lies in the chosen period, and revise the details of the settings or scenario in line with those comments, right at the table, even if reality must be edited after the fact, unless, of course, the change is willful on your part and a designed element of the story, what needs to be fixed, in other words. There's no shame in admitting one's ignorance, and the session becomes a more collaborative learning experience for all concerned. Second, historians are really very good at research, and you can capitalize on that. Everyone's got the internet in their pocket these days anyway. So in other words, it's a tip that will work probably to a lesser degree, but still work with non-historians. Just let them have access to their mobiles perhaps in tandem with a skill roll of some kind, if, if you really care about that. Historians might well be able to spot a discrepancy in the timeline and will have the googling skills to track the changes back to the historical turning point by letting them do their own research and use internet sources as their character's memory or database, you cut down on boring old exposition where you're forced to tell the players what their PCs know or you have to run them through briefings that gives a lot of their agency to their superiors. Here I might recommend, uh, there's a couple of books called What If, A-Histories as they call them. Uh, it's historians looking at either military history or other history and finding these turning points where, oh, it might have gone another way and then trying to figure out how. So they give you the context that gets you there and then what might really have happened given all the factors that were in play at the time. So you could use that as a basis for alternate histories, you show up, oh, Lord, it's all changed. And then maybe your historians have the savvy, have the knowledge to track down the actual turning point from there. So those books have, have a pretty good inspirational value. But what about time travel without historians? Because if no one really digs history and they're still playing a time travel game, do they like that setting? Do they like history as a setting? It's a little bit like playing D&D in a setting you hate. So you have to find a focus somewhere else. The thing about history is that it's normally an immutable place. 
so to speak. You might well topple an empire in the Forgotten Realms, but if you do so in history, you might prevent your own birth and screw up the, the whole setting. My advice is allow it. With non-historians, accuracy is a waste anyways. Don't presume that they have to go back home or keep the timeline intact. Allow them to treat history as a mutable setting. They want to kill Hitler in 1935 or buy up all his paintings and turn him into a successful artist? Let them. They want to bring automatic weapons to 50 BC and mow down Caesar's legions in Gaul? Sure, why not? Using history as a playground can be tons of fun, but wait. What about the changes to history, right? A couple ways to go about it, really. The GM could run the setting by the seat of his pants and, analyzing what this player's actions are doing to the timeline, extrapolate a consistently evolving history that now becomes the new setting and the new setting and the newest setting. PCs can even go back in time and prevent their own actions from ever happening while still retaining a memory of them. So these changes can be undone if they somehow trigger the darkest timeline and the players lose something dear to them, which could be as simple as, oh, I can't go back to the Old West anymore, but I love the Old West. Or as deep as having fallen in love with a woman from 1659 that no longer exists. The other way to do this is to say changes in history create new parallel timelines. The time machine can just go back in time, then take the original branch back up through history while still retaining the ability to revisit old parallels where they saved the dinosaurs or accidentally killed Shakespeare. The point is to remove historical anxiety from the equation. The characters can still deal with a local consequence, which is to say those that have ramifications for their characters and the people they meet and befriend, but aren't paralyzed by the unknown and unknowable, or at least to them unknowable, results of their presence back in history. Regardless of the type of player you've managed to draw in, time travel RPGs can't be about being mere observers. Oh, it might start out that way, but for the game to be fun and have stakes, the PCs must become participants. So don't be afraid to bend the rules to make that happen, even if the game's rules are fairly clear-cut. Now, a couple of comments or follow-ups uh, from our last episode, which was about Call of Cthulhu. And the guest, of course, was Ian Fletcher, who uh, was about to run a Call of Cthulhu session at a convention. So he's come back to give us a little bit of, uh, you know, a wrap up what happened for anyone who's interested. First of all, no one driven permanently insane, he says, but there were five temporary madness conditions inflicted. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people going crazy. Second, the table had two experienced gamers, one with moderate experience and one who was in her third session ever of any RPG, with the other two having taken place that very weekend. So they all did great, though one of the players, a younger fellow, had some challenges not using very modern lingo. That's right, it, it is. We're talking about time travel today. You know, if you're doing 1930s or getting into character kind of requires a certain historical knowledge in a, in a pop culture or linguistic way. Third, the investigation phase was kept dynamic by making sure all of the NPCs they ran into were very colorful. I played up the distrust of the local gypsies, painting the locals as ignorant small town yokels and calling out their classism and bias without being too overt about it. I also was careful to not confuse the players too much when a potential red herring came up. I made sure to call it out so that our limited time slot wasn't used up chasing a dead end. Something you often encounter. Then fourth, the haunted house featured differing time periods from room to room. Okay, it's all connecting to this show. And vanishing doors. Also, as the characters spent more time there, they began to either age or rejuvenate rapidly. This put a sense of urgency into the scenario, even though everyone began middle-aged. So they had plenty of room to grow or ungrow. It also helped reinforce the theme. Fifth, the end of the scenario took a left turn when they couldn't make any of three attempts to decode the counterspell to fix time and space. So in the end, I devised an out and the investigators stumbled into Carcosa never to return. There was an appropriate mix of laughter at the comedy, dark and regular comedy, and some moments where the situation was making people's eyes widen. Considering we were in a large room filled with other games and noise, I was impressed we managed to keep up the atmosphere. Excellent. Thank you, Ian, for, for that wrap-up. So we get a good example of 
what a Call of Cthulhu session might feel like, look like. And uh, just one other comment here. Mike Dynas says uh, that this was a very welcome episode because Call of Cthulhu was an RPG I've heard so much about. It seems that everyone who's played seems to have enjoyed it, yet I've never had a chance to play it. I'm thinking this might be a perfect game to try out at a local game store or con. This was a great episode to get me excited to try and play Call of Cthulhu soon. I would say this is one of the mission statements of Let's Roll. Thank you, Mike. Just time to say that the Fire and Water Podcast Network has a Patreon page at patreon.com slash fwpodcast. If you like this content and want more like it, think about leaving a one-time or a monthly donation. But let me also remind you that you too can leave comments at fireandwaterpodcast.com on the Fire and Water Facebook page on Twitter where we are, FW Podcast. So, until the next episode, let's roll. Let's roll.